0: Well, good morning again. It is great to be with you today. Thanks for joining us. If you're here in the room, uh, worshiping with us, or you're watching online, or you're listening later, uh, it is just great to be able to sing along with you today and open God's Word together. If we haven't met, my name's Corey, and I have the honor and privilege of being lead pastor here at GFC. And we are in the midst, like Pastor Andrew said, of a study called Summer Love and so this is actually week nine. So this is not a normal thing necessarily for us to do that we spend this much time uh, in a passage and and continuing through. But here's where we've been, and, and I want to see if this has kind of resonated with you the way that it's resonated with me. Is that we've taken First Corinthians 13 and just gone through piece by piece by piece by piece, little by little. And what that has done is it's caused us to take this passage that you would see sometimes on someone's wall or you hear at a wedding. And maybe in those times you hear that or you look at that and you go, yeah, that sounds good. Like, let's do that. That sounds awesome. And then you actually dig into it. And every time you look at the next phrase, it's another step and another thing and another thing and another thing. And a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Andrew was talking about this and he compared it to if we had a gem or a diamond. And every time you turned it, you just saw a new facet. And one of the cool things about this, I think, is that God says to us in his word that he is love. And then Paul takes all this time to explain to us what love actually is. And so when we look at this and we study it, what we're really trying to do is understand who God is and what his character is like and what he is calling us to do as his followers if we've decided to follow him. And so in that space, I've been challenged. I've been challenged to kind of say, okay, this isn't love isn't just what I thought it was. Love has a lot of facets, a lot of different things to kind of look at and understand as we're called to be Christ followers. As we're thinking about 1 Corinthians, uh, we think about the people that would have received that book. And when they did, some of them would have understood the law, which would have been what we call the Old Testament, right? And so when they thought about that, they had 600 rules they had to follow. And so stepping into this new idea of love and, and following Jesus might feel a little bit better, but at times it's kind of been like, you know, the law had had no gray areas, right? There was right and wrong, and now all of a sudden we're dealing with this idea of love, and it leads us to these spaces where we have to ask that question, what does love require of me? And when we get to that space, it can be difficult to understand what's right, what's wrong, what I do in this circumstance compared to this circumstance, and so that's the conversation that we've been in, understanding that loving people and loving the way that Jesus has loved is complex, It can be difficult, and it can take us time to really develop what that is. So if you haven't engaged with that, I would encourage you uh, to do so. If you've missed any of the weeks, you can always go back to YouTube, watch there, you can listen wherever you get your podcasts, uh, and we would love for you to do that. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to dive in. We're going to go just 1 Corinthians 13, where we spent all these weeks, right? And so we're just going to read verses 4 through 6, and verse 6 is the one that we're going to focus on today. So 1 Corinthians 13 verses 4 to 5 says, love is patient and kind. We should basically have this memorized by now, right? Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. And then verse 6 says this, it does not rejoice about injustice, or in some versions you will see that word wrongdoing, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Now before we really dig into this, I want us to kind of think about the the difference between those two, right? Love does not get excited, does not rejoice, is not happy when injustice or wrongdoing win. We don't don't encourage that. We don't think about that. We don't want that to be the case. Here's where this can get challenging, right? Maybe you've been here. There's somebody who you don't, that, that maybe has made your life a little bit more difficult, right? could be a bully at school, could be a boss at work, could be someone that you just interact with that is not the greatest, not the first person that you would want to hang out with all the time, right? And all of a sudden, something happens to them, and they get a little bit more difficulty in their life, and our temptation is to go, okay, well, there we go. Like, that's better, right? Like, maybe they get a little bit of what they deserve. And all of a sudden, the challenge can be, we feel that way, But all of a sudden, that becomes this weird sort of like karma thing that we don't actually believe in, but we're okay with. So, like, there's a temptation when we're not loving other people to say, I'm maybe excited or happy or I feel better when something bad happens to somebody else. But what he says is that's not what we're called to do or be. He says that we would rejoice whenever truth wins out. So, the opposite of injustice and wrongdoing is truth. And so, another way that we might say this is simply this love does not approve of evil. It doesn't support evil. It doesn't encourage it. It doesn't entice it. It doesn't celebrate it. We would not be people who would look at something evil and say, we're going to elevate that. That we would look at that and say, we're going to do the opposite. Now, you might say, well, what does that mean? How do I know what evil is? What does that look like? How do I determine maybe what evil is? And here's what I would say to kind of help us process that. Evil is anything that lives at odds with God's design. So let me let me say it this way, right? M- many people in the world, whether you're a Christian follower of Jesus or you belong to another religion, many people in the world would just simply look at the way that our world works and say there was probably someone who designed it, right? Even if you don't believe in Jesus, you don't believe in the God of the Bible, you believe someone, it, There's there's enough to look at and say, the way that we function, the way that our world is, the fact that like our planet sits in the solar system and doesn't just fall out of the sky. Right? When we think about that, we go, someone designed that. Someone put it together. And there's a way for that to function. And when that doesn't function correctly, there's a problem. So when you hear in the news about an oil spill into water that's inhabited by Uh, by fish and other things and then it then there's that water source that goes to people that's a problem right something has entered that system that doesn't belong there and because of that there is destruction that will follow the same is true when we understand god's design for the world when something comes in that is at odds with god's design it will lead to a bad place that we don't want to go i'll give you one more example right Many of you would not go to the beach and try and drive your vehicle into the ocean. There are vehicles that can drive into the ocean, right? We probably don't own them. Some of it, vehicles are made to what? Drive on land. Now, some of us have four-wheel drive, and so we get snow or we get whatever. We can handle that a little bit more. But you put a vehicle that was made to drive on land into water, and you're not going to have a car for very long because it's in a space that it was not designed to work. We get that. And so how does evil exist? It's when we look at God's design for the world, for our lives, for relationships, and when something is at odds with what God says, it will lead to a wrong place. That means that it is evil, and it will carry us to a place that we don't want to go. And so think about it this way, right? Love upholds and encourages God's design for everything says what God wants is best, and that's what we're going to lean into, and when there's something that lives at odds with that, we're going to be against that. We're not going to celebrate that. Now, here's the thing, right? Doing that is difficult. Doing that when all the rest of the people maybe around us or people that have the biggest, loudest voice or people that have the vote, right? They say something different, and all of a sudden, we have to be the one in opposition, and maybe you've been in that place, And this is where this whole idea of love can get difficult because one of the things that we say here is we want people to live a Jesus-centered life, but this is true. It is actually uncomfortable to live a Jesus-centered life. That's an uncomfortable place to be because the rest of the people around us at times are not living that way. And so when they would say, or maybe a group would say, or you see some one person in your life say that this is the way we should go, and it's against what you know is the design for It's against the design that God has set out. And you have to be the one who says, no, that's not right, because we want to be loving people, even though it's not what everybody agrees on. It's an uncomfortable place to be. I've said to some of you before, you know, I don't always dislike confrontation. Many people do. And so it puts you in a space where you have to actually be confronting to someone or have a difficult conversation. That's a difficult place to be. And yet love is something we're called to do. But it never says, Paul never says, right, this is easy. In fact, as we've dug in, I think we've seen that it is not easy. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to go to another place in 1 Corinthians today. We're going to stay in 1 Corinthians, but we're going to go backwards. We're going to go to chapter 5, okay? So if you want to turn on or turn in your Bible, you can go there. Like Pastor Andrew said, if you want to scan the QR code that's on the back or on the screen or on the back of your card here, that will take you to our follow along so that you can see all the verses, All the notes. Uh, Ask me all those questions Pastor Andrew told you to ask me uh, and submit a prayer request if you'd like. So we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, okay? We're going to get a very specific example here in how Paul teaches the Corinthians how to handle this. Remember, this same book, so same author, right? Same group of people is getting all this information. So in verse 1 of chapter 5, it says this, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you, something that even pagans don't do. I am told that a man in your church is living in sin, with his stepmother, okay? Not a good situation, right? Paul says, I, it, I can hardly believe it. And then he says, this is even something that pagans, which is just a church word or a Bible word for people outside the church that don't follow Jesus, the people out there, they don't even think this is a good idea, right? This is gross to them. And yet this is what the church is engaging in. We would feel that way today too, right? If, if this situation was happening, we would all go and this, even people just in our neighborhood would be like, this is weird, right? The only time something like this shows up, even in media, is is usually as a joke, right? It's so absurd, it's so silly. It's not a good joke, but it's just silly. It's like, this would never happen. Why? Why would this be the case? And so Paul says, this is a problem. He goes on in verse two. You are so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning in sorrow And shame. And you should remove this man from your fellowship. Now wait, like time out. Think about that last phrase. You should remove this man from your fellowship. That's a harsh place to go, right? And many of us would read that maybe and go, that's not that feels not like church. Like, that feels not like what we're supposed to do or what we're called to do. Now, I would say this. We know from other places in Scripture that Paul would also say, before this happens, there should be a conversation that has happened with this person. But here's the situation that seems to be true. Everyone knows about this. Paul is not there with them. He's removed from it, and he's heard about it. They all know about it. There's been conversation about it. and So now they've got to decide what to do with it. So let's keep going in verses uh, 3 and 4. Even though I am not with you in person, I am with you in spirit. And as though I were there, I have already passed judgment on this man in the name of the Lord Jesus. You must call a meeting of the church. I will be present with you in spirit, and so will the power of the Lord Jesus. Verse 5. Then you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan, so that his sinful nature will be destroyed and he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns. Again, think about that verse for a second. Again, he says you have to kick him out. Hand him over to Satan so that his sinful nature will be destroyed and he himself will be saved. So he goes this. He says if you kick him out, God's going to do the work in him that needs to be done. And the result of that will be that he actually is going to be saved and he is going to turn from this problem. He is going to be okay. And when when the day the Lord returns, all will be well in his life is there has to be this step. Why? I would say it this way, that allowing someone to comfortably live in sin may actually keep them from entering the kingdom of heaven. This is the difficult space, right? This is difficult. When we see something in someone's life and we say, that's evil, that's wrong. And if we decide that we're going to actually just accept it and continue to allow it to exist, we may be hindering them from understanding what's going on in their lives. Let me just help us get there, right? We, if we have a culture where things are just accepted, what's false, what goes against God's design, if it's just accepted, people may enter our fellowship or may even just enter Christianity in general and say, oh, this is okay. Right. This is the way I can continue to live life. This is the way that I can continue to be and I will just kind of do church and I'll be there and I'll sing and I'll do all the things while I still have this sin on the side that I'm continuing to do. And if our body of believers or Christianity just says that's okay and we just leave it alone, the problem is they're never gonna see the issue. Let me ask you this. How did you decide what you would wear when you were in high school and middle school? How'd you decide that? you probably decided it based on what was cool or what was accepted, right? If you had hand-me-downs from an older sibling or from your parents or an older cousin or something like that, and you're like, this is not cool, mom and dad. I'm not wearing this, right? I'm gonna get made fun of. You had that process of thought. Why? Because the group in general said, this is what we accept. And what Paul is saying is when we as a group accept the wrong thing, we're encouraging people to continue in sin and we're not loving them even though the opposite, the understanding that what has to happen for this person is difficult. And so we wanna be a place. We wanna be a group of people. We want to be, as followers of Jesus, the kind of people that are encouraging the positive side of things, the things that God calls us to, the things that God requires of us, the things that God designed so that people don't continue and we ourselves don't continue to live in a place where sin continues to be. He goes on in verse six and says, you're boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? Verse seven, get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Then you will be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. Verse eight, so let this let us celebrate the festival, not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. Now, if you're like me, they start talking about yeast, and you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about, right? I've never made my own bread. I don't understand this. So let me help us kind of understand what's going on here. He's talking about when yeast gets introduced to bread, they would make bread without it. They like they had, at times, they would purposefully have bread with no yeast, but the problem was one little bit gets in there, and it's just going to continue to spread, Right? So this is a conversation that they understand. We don't necessarily get there, because if you don't make your own bread or you've not been a part of this process, you don't get it. But if we were talking about this today, if Paul was writing this today, I think he would use this term of darkness. We understand when something is bad, it's represented by darkness. Any one of our books or movies or things like that that we read, if there's a good guy and a bad guy, the bad guy is almost always understood as darkness. One of the best examples of this is Star Wars right? Because you've got the force, you've got good and bad, and they even call it the dark side, right? It's bad. It's negative. And so we get that idea. And if you've followed that narrative, if you've seen the original three movies and then the prequels and then the new stuff that's come out on Disney+, right? You see the whole thing of how darkness takes over one person's life and it continues to have a negative effect, right? We get that. And so here's how we maybe want to understand this and get this is that sin left unchecked will creep in like darkness. It will start to exist, and it little by little will continue to grow. And I think this is actually true of darkness, that darkness stretches to the farthest depths it's allowed to reach. What's the only thing that stops darkness? It's light. And so as soon as you remove the light, where does the darkness go? Everywhere that the light was. And so when it's allowed to reach those places, it's going to stretch as far as we will allow it to go. And sin is the same way. It's what Paul is teaching through this situation that Corinth has. They're realizing that if they allow this sin to continue to exist in their presence and they will do nothing about it, it's going to infect the group. It's going to lead the entire group that's saying, it's okay, it's allowed, we're going to allow it to exist. It's going to impact other people as well. And we know this, right? Like, your sin doesn't just affect you. Your sin can affect your family. Your sin can affect your friends. Your sin can affect other people. And so when we realize that it's not just about us, it's not just our thing, that it's going to get to others, we will be a little bit more quick to get rid of that darkness in ourselves as well. I'm going to keep going. Verses 9 and 10. Paul says, when I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin, but I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I mean that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a a believer, yet indulges in sexual sin, is greedy, worships idols, or is abusive, or is a drunkard, or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. Paul's got a lot of hot takes in this passage, right? He's dropping a lot of quick things. that You're like, if you just read it by itself, you're like, Paul is like, maybe he was in a bad mood this day, Right? He takes this hard turn in this passage and says, listen, I'm talking about people who claim the name of Jesus. He says, you don't have to disassociate with someone who doesn't claim the name of Jesus, who isn't a part of your church, who isn't claiming to be a part of Christianity. If they're continuing to live in sin, he goes, that's what you should expect from them. That's that's just the way it is. They don't know Jesus. Jesus. So he says, if they're living that way, great. And he's not great, but that's just the way it is. You just understand that. He says, if you were going to disassociate with people like that, you would have to leave this world. He says, you would just have to go away. He says, you, if it's someone who's claiming the name of Jesus, now we've got a problem. He's saying those that claim the name of Jesus, who claim to be a follower of him, are held to a higher standard. Now, Paul takes the time to point this out, and I think that we should take time to understand this too. Because here's what I've seen at times, not just in our church, or I'm not just thinking about that. I'm just thinking about in general, as Christians are known, we can be quick to look to people outside of Christendom or the church or followers of Jesus, and we look outside of us, and we go, look at how bad those people are. Right? I'm not going to go near them. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to support them. I'm not going to buy stuff there. I'm not going to whatever. Right? And we look at people outside the church and we go, look how bad they're acting. And then the problem is when those people turn around and say, take care of your own stuff that's happening within the church, we can be slow to do that. And so even people that are outside of Christianity would look in and say, make sure that you're living the life that you're called to live. And Paul is saying the same thing. And so we have to look at each other and say, we are held to a higher standard. We get focused sometimes on what the outside world is doing. That's not the important thing. He says that what's important is that we live the lives that we're called to live, that we don't let evil exist, that we would make sure that we're not celebrating and allowing those things. Because here's the problem is acceptance can oftentimes equal encouragement. And even though we might be saying, I I just don't want to say anything about this, I just don't want to be the person who brings the bad news, I just don't want to this, that, right? My acceptance could just be my silence. We were watching a show the other day, and there was a conversation uh, about, there was like three guys having a conversation about one guy and the girl he was dating. And they were like, this is a bad situation. Like, this person should not be dating that person. Like, who wants to say something? And they all went, we're not saying anything because they didn't want to be the one to rock the boat, right? They didn't want to be the one to step in and say this is a bad idea. Why? Because it's uncomfortable. It's not an easy place to go. It's not that. But at the same time, the other person thought they were all good with it because they weren't saying anything. And so when we are silent about sin issues, especially in our own context as Christ followers, we're encouraging it to continue. And Paul says that's not what we are to do. Verses 12 and 13, he goes on to say this. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it is certain, certainly your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. And God will judge those on the outside. But as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. Here's what I'll say, and then I'll qualify this a little bit, okay? Here's what I want us to get to. Sin inside the church should anger us more than sin outside the church. When I was, talk- I was preaching a couple weeks ago, we talked about this idea of being easily irritable or easily angered, right? We talked about that. And I said, whenever you talk about anger and justifiable anger in scripture, if you've been around church for a while, there's almost always one passage we go to, and it's the passage where Jesus decides to flip tables over in the temple, right? We remember that one. That sticks in there because Jesus doesn't do that a lot. Where was he? In the temple, What made him more angry than anything that we can see in Scripture was when the people who were claiming the name of his father were taking advantage of others. That made him that angry, that he would flip tables and make a whip and do all of this stuff. Now, here's where we could land today, right? This could feel like a conversation where we're going, oh, no, if I mess up, my church is going to kick me out, because of the conversation that if we take it out of context Paul was having with the Corinthians. Here's what I want us to get, right? We all sin. We all fail every single day. We all find ourselves doing things we shouldn't. We all find ourselves doing things that go against God's design, just being honest, right? That that happens every single day. And this doesn't mean that we're going to turn around and we're going to go, oh, you messed up. You're out. That's not the idea. But the idea is that We want to make sure that we are confronting each other in a loving way and caring about one another and building community together so that those sins are brought to light and so that they don't carry themselves to a place we don't want them to go. And there would be a conversation, right? If there's a sin going on, somebody sees it and has a conversation, we'd say, what are you doing, right? We want to help you. We want to get you to the place where you need to be. But we want to be ruthless against this idea of allowing darkness and sin to just exist in our midst without confronting it. We don't want that to happen. And we want to love each other. I'm going to talk more about that in a little bit. We want to love each other through all of that process. But we want to make sure that it doesn't exist here because the most loving thing for us to do is to support the design that God has put in front of us. So that brings us, as we think about how we're going to do this, right? It brings us to this question, what does love require? of me. You might be thinking, uh, I know of someone <laughs> that I that is living in sin, claims the name of Jesus. And the idea is, you, there should be a conversation there. And you're like, that feels really uncomfortable, right? I don't want to be that person. I don't want to have to be the one that's responsible for that. But here's the question, right? What does love require of me? What should I do. There's three things I want us to think about as we process how to do this, okay? And the first thing is this, that we would identify darkness as darkness. Another way of saying this is sin is sin. And so if, it, if we look at scripture and we say this is clearly against God's design, right? This goes against what he says is the way that he wants the world to operate and what he says is best. Then we would look at that and we would say this is wrong. And so if we know somebody or we ourselves, right, we're having too much to drink, too often, evil, right, going to stop it. I look at my heart and I say, I'm being greedy, evil, got to stop it. I'm cheating. I'm, I'm taking time from work that I shouldn't take, or I've been doing too many things, or I've said things I shouldn't say, or my attitude's this, or when I am angry, I take it out physically on people or objects, right, evil it's must stop. We have to have this space where we can understand and draw the line and say, this is wrong. And it's darkness, and it's evil. And so we want to be able to look at God's Word and say, where is the line? How we love people can be gray sometimes, but what God says is right and true and good, and His design is clear. And so we don't want to get into the space where we just say, well, it's not too much, right? It's not so bad. They only do it sometimes. You know, every person that I've ever heard or had a conversation with that got to a point where they did something that was kind of to the space where you're like, I can't believe they did that. Almost always that conversation starts with, I got away with this little thing this one time. And all of a sudden that darkness grew and it got worse and it got worse and it got worse. And in that, they got to a place where they did something they thought they would never, ever do. And so identifying that darkness when it is that little thing saying we're not going to do that anymore is so important the second thing i would say is that we would lovingly bring the darkness to light let me give you an example of this to kind of help us process how we do this okay i've never had surgery anyone else in the room never had surgery ever okay so there's a handful of us most of us at some point get some sort of surgery right And so I've never had surgery, but I've been around when my three children were born, and I've watched enough medical shows on TV. I think I I can say this at least, right? When you get to the point where there's this major thing going to happen, they start to hook you up to a lot of sensors, right? Right? They track your heart rate. They track your blood pressure. They want to make sure all of those things are in place before they go in and start doing the thing that they do, right? Whatever it is, even if it's just your appendix, right? They're going to make sure your heart rate is fine, blood pressure is fine, other things, right? They're going to make sure even though your appendix is not attached to your heart, they're going to make sure that's fine. Here's the way I want us to think about this. When we lovingly bring the darkness to light, when we have to go to someone and say there's something wrong that we have to fix, we have to also be thinking about the other systems in them as a person that we're not trying to change. Because sometimes what happens is we go in and we say, we just focus on the bad thing, right? Imagine if your doctor was like, oh, we're gonna go in, we're gonna take out your appendix and that's all we're gonna do, right? Just like lay there for a minute, let me get at it. You would be like, that's a problem. I don't want to do that. How are you going to know if I'm having this problem or that problem or whatever, right? That, that puts you in a very uncomfortable place. And so sometimes we focus on that one bad thing and we forget to care for the person. And we would never want a doctor to do that. We would want the doctor that says we're going to take every precaution to make sure, even though we're going in to fix this one bad thing, that the rest of you is taken care of that the rest of you is intact, that the rest of you is going to be okay. I see an issue, but I want you to know that I love you. I want you to know that I want you to get the help. I want you to know that I'm walking with you through this. I want you to know that you're not by yourself, that you're cared for, and yet we still need to fix this one thing. I heard a story recently about a, a pastor whose elders came to him, and they said, hey, we've noticed something that, we, that doesn't sit quite right with us, right? Where this could be a problem, we're not sure. We don't, we don't think you're in a place yet where you need to resign. They just said, hey, we, we just want you to take off some time. Take some time, pray, we'll get you some therapy. We'll make sure we're gonna go in the right direction here, right? We love you, we wanna make sure this doesn't become more of a problem. They said, how do you feel about that? And the, other, and the pastor said, no, I'm not doing it. I don't know the end to that story because I don't know that the person that was telling that story knows the end yet. I think it might still be in process. But here's where I think it's unwise, right? Why would you, if someone's coming to you and saying, I love you, I want to help you, I don't want this to get to a point where it's bad, why would you look at them and say, no, I'm not going to take your help? In the same way a doctor comes to you and says, I want to help you, this is a problem, you would say, yes, please help, right? That's the other side of this too. If you're the person that the conversation is being had with and you have to say yes or no to accept what someone's coming to you and saying, I see this problem, I want to help you fix it, remember they're not just coming to attack you personally. They're coming to say they love you and they want this to stop because they want to make sure this doesn't continue to be a problem. And the third thing I would say is this, that we would desire conviction and not condemnation. You know, we know already from Scripture and from just the understanding we have of Jesus that he died for the sins that we commit. And if we're followers of him, there is no more condemnation. So the idea is not to come to, them, come to somebody else or when we're hearing this, the desire is not for us to hear that we are being condemned by God, but that we would be convicted of not living the life that we are called to live. this isn't about works, right? It's not that process. But what we know is that when we decide to follow Jesus and we are one of his followers, we are a new creation. And so therefore, there would be a new way of living that would come along with that. And if sin is allowed to continue to be in that space, we've missed it. We want to feel that conviction and understand when things are wrong. That's what pain is. It's not going to be comfortable, but when we feel that conviction, we feel that pain, we're going to go, something's wrong I need to fix. And we would do that if we are feeling pain in our physical body. So here's what I would say. Love prevents darkness from advancing in the lives of those around us. Love prevents darkness from spreading or continuing or advancing in the lives of those around us. It's what love is. And that we would want welcome that conversation into our lives as well. This is why community is so important, right? Because if we don't know each other very well, even if I saw you do something wrong and I come over to you and I'm like, that's wrong, right? You would not react well to that. But someone who knows you, you know that they love you. They've been there over time. They can say to you, I love you. This is what's going on. We need to fix it you're more likely to welcome that and allow that wisdom to sink in. Now, if you're paying attention, here's what we did a lot of today, right? (laughs) We focused on the first part of that verse we talked about. Love does not rejoice with wrongdoing, but what? Rejoices with the truth. And so I did, I talked a lot about that first section and said, hey, we we don't want to allow sin to exist. We wanna get rid of it. We don't wanna let it continue. We wanna love other people in making sure that that doesn't continue. But here's the last little bit I wanna say about the second part of that verse. And I wanna go to 2 John verse three, just really quick. He says this, grace, mercy, and peace, which come from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, will continue to be with us who live in truth and love. It's interesting. I I don't always think about truth and love coexisting together, but God says they do. And so when truth is present, love can be present. Love can continue. Loving someone is bringing the truth to light. And so we would say that love pursues and celebrates Truth. It's the way we love other people. We're not done with all these facets that we're learning in 1 Corinthians 13 yet. But each one digs us a little deeper. Each one, to me, says I need to work a little bit harder. Each one says I don't understand or I need to understand better this aspect of God that I haven't gotten to yet. But ultimately, what Jesus wants is to bring truth to our lives. And if we live, In the system, in the design that God has created, it won't go to destruction. And sometimes that means when we as sinful people get off track, we need other people to come along and say, I love you, I want you to change your course so that you don't go down the path of destruction, so that you don't allow the darkness to continue, so that this doesn't become a worse problem in the future. And in so doing, that we would be loving each other and causing one another to follow Jesus more closely than we were before. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the idea of community. When we talk about love and truth and they coexist together, that we get to look one another in the eye and say that I love you and I don't want you to go down that path. I pray that that would be true of, of our fellowship here. I pray that that would be true of the churches in New Holland. I pray that that would be true in just Christianity, that we would be ready and willing to see one another in a loving way to redirect what we need to redirect and when someone comes to us that we would be willing to do that as well I pray that we would care for one another as we do that that it wouldn't be a finger pointing it wouldn't be a condemnation that it would be a reality of saying we love you and we don't want the darkness to continue I know that's difficult it's hard it's not comfortable and I just ask that you would give us wisdom as we try to live that out that our Love to one another would exist in truth. In Jesus' name, amen.